tonight what we're going to do is we're going to continue on in chapter two. And for the past few sessions and maybe for the next couple of sessions, we're going to focus on verses five through 11, which in our other sessions we have touched on a little bit. This is what is called the kenosis passage or the kenosis hymn. Kenosis is just a, a fancy word that means the self-emptying of God. And so as we read this text, what you'll hear is you'll hear Paul explaining as Jesus came as a human, Jesus laid aside some certain things. Jesus emptied himself of certain privileges so that he could take on human form. It's a really powerful portion of scripture. Tonight, what I want to do, though, is I want to focus on one specific phrase in the text, and I really want to just kind of bury this in. I want to really dig in and make sure that we all remember and we all understand what Paul is trying to communicate with this one little phrase. So we're going to go ahead and pick up in verse 5, if you have your notes. Paul writes, and he says, "...have this mind among yourselves." which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, Father, thank you for your people who are gathered here this evening and I want to pray a special blessing over their lives and their hearts, their spirit, as they hear the seed of the word of God, that this would find good soil and we would be reminded of eternal truths tonight. So, Spirit of God, we ask you to come and to speak to us individually and corporately in the way that you know best. And so we ask you to do it in Jesus' name. Amen. I love my wife without question. And uh, I tell my wife every day that I love her probably multiple times a day. Uh, it may be unhealthy the amount of times that I tell my wife I love her. But um, there are certain times in our relationship where I will be, maybe we're at dinner or maybe I'm walking through the kitchen or we may be out and about. But there are certain times where I'll grab Joy's hands or you know I may, I may cup her face and I look her in the eyes, and I just look at her and I say, baby, I, I just want to remind you that I love you. And it's not that it's necessarily different than it is the thousand other times that I've said it, you know, on other days. But what I'm doing is I'm taking advantage of a moment where I want her to understand this isn't just a habit. I don't want this to become super familiar or just so common that I just say I love you all the time without really carrying any meaning. And so what I'll do is I'll take a moment and I will really captivate her so that she understands that I genuinely mean this and I mean it in a very real way. And when Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, this is in some ways, this is what Paul's doing. 
he is telling them uh, uh, things that they may not know, but then he's reiterating some things that they do know. And then there are certain times where Paul just leans in a little bit and he reminds them of things that they already know, but he really wants to make sure that they understand this. And in this phrase here, Paul is mentioning that Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. And then Paul uses this phrase, even death on a cross. Now, if they were Christians, they understood that. I mean, they were within just a few years of the crucifixion of Christ. And so Paul, in this moment, he knows that as he's talking to these people, they know the kind of death that Christ suffered. But Paul is taking a moment to remind them, this is something that cannot become too familiar to you. You can't get too common with the idea that, yeah, Jesus just died on the cross. He wanted them to understand he was so humbled and he was so obedient that he was willing to die even a death on a cross. And so Paul was really driving that home to the people. And so tonight what I want to do is really just kind of expound upon that. I want to talk about things that uh, most of us already know. There's probably not anything I'm going to say tonight that you're not already aware of, but I think it's good for us to be reminded of the gospel, to be reminded of the cross, to be reminded of the resurrection and, and so many other critical elements of our Christian faith. But tonight I do want to focus on the cross. I want to talk to you for a few minutes about uh, the reason that God sent Christ to die on the cross. I want to talk to you about the benefits that we receive from the cross. And then I want to wrap it up in a, in a short little segment. But let's go ahead and begin here in your notes. And, and I want to talk to you for a few minutes about our sin. This is uh, really what compelled God. This was his response. The cross was God's response to our rebellion, to our sin. And what I want to do is I, I want to break down seven or eight different things to you, but I really want to focus on number one in your notes tonight. And number one is this, that Adam's sin infected and affected all people for all time. Uh, this doctrine is called the doctrine of original sin. And it carries the idea that when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, that their sin did not just affect them, but it affected every other person that would ever be born in the course of human history because spiritually speaking, they were compromised. And as they gave birth to generation after generation, that spiritual inheritance would be passed on. And it wasn't a good inheritance. The Bible says it like this. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, he says, by the trespass or the sin of one man, he's talking about Adam, by the trespass of one man, physical and spiritual death reigned through that one man's life. And so Paul is saying because of Adam and Eve's sin, death began to reign instead of life reigning. And so we understand as we begin to talk about this idea of original sin that there are really two different types of sins. There are two categories of sin, if you will. Uh, one is what we call universal sin. The other is what we call personal sin. Um, universal sin is kind of like the disease. It's kind of like a disease that is rampant through a person's body. It exists. It's everywhere. We touch it, even if we don't realize it's there. But our personal individual sin is kind of like the symptom that manifests itself because of the disease that already exists 
if that makes sense. And so regardless if it's universal sin or personal sin, all of these came from the line of Adam and they've affected us all the way up till today. Part of the reason Christ came to die a sacrificial death is to cover not only our individual sins, but universally to cover the, the concept of sin for all who would believe. Romans 3 says it like this for us as individuals. Paul said, everyone has sinned and we have all fallen short of the glorious standard of God. And so when we're all honest, we come to a place of honesty, we realize that there are a number of ways that even it's not just because of Adam's sin, but, but even in our own choice, our own free will, we didn't just inherit a sinful nature, but we had participated in the sinful nature. In one form or another, all of us have rejected God up until the point where we received Christ. All of us have taken something that is good and we have turned it into something evil. Um, something as good as food. Uh, we, we have this knack for taking something that God provides and, and it's a necessity for our souls. But we have a way of taking something like food and we turn it into gluttony. Or we take human sexuality or, or sex, which is a gift from God, and we turn it and, and we create perversion out of it. We just have this knack for doing this where we reform good things into evil things. Um, like Paul, we have all refused to do the things that we know are right. You remember Paul has this war within him and he's saying, man, there are things that I know I should be doing, but it's like I just don't do them. Um, so we, we refuse to do right, and then there are other times where we just resolve that we're going to do something wrong. We are going to indulge the sinful nature. We're going to do that. So, so for all of us uh, across the board, we have all sinned, and we have all fallen short of the glory of God in one way or another throughout our entire lives. And this is the idea of original sin, that, that every single human being that has ever lived possesses sin and there must be something to remove that sin. And this is where we get God's response to our sin by sending his son to die on the cross for us. But as it relates to sin, there are a couple of things I want to say about how sin affects us um, in, in our natural bodies. Uh, number two in your notes, the reality is this, that sin deals death to our spirit man. So, the human body is made up of the uh, of you know a spirit soul and body and from the point of adam's sin his spirit died his spirit was alive and then when he rebelled against god his spirit was dead within him now he physically was alive but his spirit man was had been extinguished that light had been snuffed out and perpetually every person that has been born we are born with a dead spirit. Our spirit is not alive. It is dead until we are born again in the spirit and we are then brought to new life. But sin is what deals death to our spirit. Number three, sin also damns our souls to hell. Now, we live in a society that um, is very leery of many things that are supernatural. Um, well, I should say this, we're, we're very leery of the things that are true and supernatural, while many in our society embrace things that are false but are, have a supernatural flair to them. Um, it's really a peculiar society that we live in. But we also live in a society, especially with younger generations, we're finding that many, many millennials, as a matter of fact, there's a research by, uh, a, a poll done by Pew Research, 
And their research suggests that out of the millennials that they surveyed, that only 38% of them believed that there was a real place called hell. Now, by contrast, there are many, many people that believe in the idea of heaven, but very few people believe that there is a real place called hell. But the Bible is, is emphatic about the statement, there is a very real place called heaven, but there is a very real place called hell for those who reject the Son of God. So sin damns our souls to hell. Number four, sin also destroys our relationship with God. And so you can even see in the text at the beginning with, um, with Adam and Eve in the book of Genesis, once they compromised and they rebelled, they, they, they disobeyed what God had directly spoken, their relationship with God, it immediately changed. God came to them, he clothed them, he forgave them, but he expelled them from his immediate presence. And in the same way, when, when we are born into this life, um, before we come into relationship with Christ, there is a separation. There is a vast gulf between us and God. There is not a connected relationship there because of the sin that we have embraced. Number five in your notes, sin also disrupts our relationship with other people. And so again, um, you know, we, we take things that are good like relationships and then we just have this tendency to distort them or to, to you know, put things inside of them that are, that are not good. And so in our relationships, we, we find ourselves becoming jealous or envious of, of people or we find ourselves slandering some, wanting to, you know, th this is why murder happens, this is why abuses and perversions happen, is because the sin that dwells within us when it's not rectified through the Son of God uh, the sin just grows and it, it gets rampant. Um, Paul would say in Romans 1 that, that people get to a certain point where sin grows, where they just begin to invent ways to sin. They begin to come up with new and bizarre ways to sin. And as it relates to that, our relationship with other people is disrupted because of the sin that dwells within us. Number six in your notes, sin also deteriorates our world. So it's not just that our spirit is dead because of sin and that it, it's you know, corrupted all these different relationships and, and caused so much damage on a spiritual or relational level, but the Bible says in Romans 8 that sin has also affected our world. It's almost when Adam and Eve sinned against God, it didn't just break them, it broke everything. And so this is why we have tsunamis and tornadoes and diseases and viruses that kind of run rampant. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 8 that all of creation was subjected to the curse of God because of Adam's sin. And so we're also reminded in that same text, though, that there is coming a day where God is going to restore creation to what it was intended to be. But in this present life, we are in a situation where our sin is even deteriorating the, the earth. Number seven in your notes, sin also distorts the image of God within us. We are all born with a mind, will, and emotions. And what happens is that um, these things begin to deteriorate over the course of time as we learn more and as we engage in more sin. Um, there is a tendency that all of these things are weakened. And as it relates to the image of God specifically, uh, the image of God has been distorted. We do not have the image of God in the, in the same way that Adam and Eve had the image of God in them. That is being restored. It will be restored, but right now it's distorted because of sin. Number eight, um, 
And I believe finally, sin defiles our individual righteousness. Now, uh, if you've been around, you know, church very long, you, you probably heard the scripture that I read earlier that says everybody has, has fallen short. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of uh, God's glorious standard. You know, we, we've all done wrong and we are not righteous. But sometimes if we're not careful, we can begin to look at the lives of other people, even wicked people or godly people or whatever the case is, and we can kind of put them on a graph and we can, you know, begin to compare ourselves and we may say, well, I'm not as good as that person, but I'm definitely not as bad as that person. I'm right here in the middle, so I'm doing good. But the reality is this, is that for every single person before they come to Christ, our individual righteousness, our standing before God has been defiled and we cannot stand before God because of our sin. It's kind of like this. It's kind of like if there was a line of righteousness, and in order to have relationship with God, in order to be accepted into heaven when we die, that you had to live your life in a certain way that was above this line. You had to be so righteous that you had to live up here. And you begin to look at this graph and you begin to see different types of people. And, you know, you may have Hitler who is way down here because of his evil and, and vile actions against humanity. But then you may look and you may say, well, you know, I'm definitely not Hitler, but, you know, there's a guy over here, old Billy Bob. I grew up with Billy Bob and, you know, Billy Bob, he would never hurt a fly. You know, he was a, he was a pretty good guy. And I may not be, you know, Hitler, I may not be Billy Bob, but you know, it, it, I may be somewhere in here, but the reality is this, is that it doesn't matter if you're Billy Bob or you're Hitler. If you fall below this line, you fall below the standard of God. And the reality is this, is that every single one of us fall below this line. Every single person who has ever lived fall below this line. And the only thing, the only thing that can propel us over this line is not our own righteousness. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he provided by giving his life on the cross and ultimately resurrecting. And so we've got to understand that sin has corrupted us in deep and powerful ways. Um, sin, I like to say, is kind of like a bullet. There are different, you know, I'm a hunter and so, you know, I, I like to shoot different types of gun and, guns and bullets and different things. But the reality, when you begin to really inspect there are different types of guns and different types of bullets. And sometimes if you shoot one, one type of bullet, um, and let's say that you're, you're hunting and you shoot a deer, there are some bullets that will just go straight through the animal. I mean, it will just go straight through the animal and it will make a pin size hole, you know, right through the, the body cavity. But then there are other types of bullets that if you shoot that same animal in the same place, that that bullet will not go straight through, but when it makes impact, that bullet will begin to bounce around all in the inside, and it will create the most destruction possible that a bullet can make. And that's the way that sin is. Sin isn't this thing that just, you know, it's kind of like a nick on us or something that just goes straight through us. Sin impacts us in the most destructive way that we could possibly imagine, not only in the physical realm, but spiritually and in our spirits as well. And it's very, very important that we understand that. And so um, we have a response to our sin. God responds to our sin. 
And he does this by sending Jesus to the cross. And so people would ask, well, you know, why did Jesus come to die? And, you know, was it necessary for him to die? And there are all of these, you know, um, liberal theologians out there who are beginning to question, you know, well, why would God require the death of his, you know, his own son? No good father would ever do that and all this uh, nonsense. They're, they're, they're truly not understanding or grasping what scripture um, is, is getting to, and they're definitely not understanding the gravity of our sin and what it was required to rectify that. So um, what I want to do is take a few minutes And I want to talk to you about God's response, why Jesus died. Number one in your notes, Jesus died to redeem us, okay? So because sin demands a price for our souls, Christ bought us back with his own blood. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, God bought you with a high price. And it, you know, the writer of Hebrews says it, it wasn't, you know, the blood of animals that, that redeemed you. It was the blood of Christ that bought you back, that redeemed you. Um, in order for sin to be dealt with, um, it's, it's a legal transaction that, that has to take place. In the Old Testament, uh, the Levitical laws, there were, there were laws, for instance, if you know, there was someone that stole an ox and they got found out, um, they would have to repay, but there, there was a penalty attached to it. It was a very judicial type of exchange that had to happen to erase that sin, to erase that crime, to make things right. And the reality is, for our sin to be rectified, there's a legal, there's a judicial transaction that had to take place. There was an exchange, and we had to be bought back, and the only thing that could buy us back permanently was the blood of Christ. Um, Some people believe that, you know, again, this line of righteousness, that they can earn, you know, their salvation or live good enough or be good enough or be enlightened enough and all this kind of thing— Honestly, I think that is the highest form of heresy there is to believe that we could earn the approval or the love or the admission into heaven or, or anything from God that we could do good enough is an absolute heresy, is, is an absolute false teaching. Paul said this to the church in Ephesus. He said, God saved you by his grace when you believed. It's by his grace. And you can't, you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. In other words, he's saying there's nothing you could do now or collectively over your lifetime to earn the love of God. He has simply reached down to us and he's done it in such a way on the cross that you can't take credit for it. He has done it in such a way where it's a gift to either be received or to be rejected. And so Jesus died in order to redeem us. Number two, he also died to justify us. Because sin removes our righteousness, Christ offers us his righteousness. Um, This is the idea of me wearing, um, you know, a a cloak, uh, a pure white cloak, and then as I go through life, it gets muddy, and, you know, my 84 children, I get snot on it, and it just becomes this atrocious garment, but I have nothing else to cover me. And so Christ comes along, and he takes his cloak, which is perfection, and it's clean, and it's crisp, and it's spotless. And instead of me having to wear my cloak to present myself, he places his cloak on top of me so that therefore now when I stand before God, I don't stand with all these stained garments stained by sin, 
but now I stand with a robe around me that is the reflection of the righteousness of Jesus, not my own righteousness, and I thank God for that. So Jesus died to justify us. He also died to save us. We understand because sin damns our souls to hell, Christ saves us from the eternal consequences of sin. Now, I know that um, most of us, rightly so, when we envision being saved, what we envision is being saved from the fires of hell. And there are all different types of, you know, interpretations as far as what hell is and all that kind of thing we can get into at another time. But, but we think in terms of, of we are being saved from hell, and that's absolutely true. But it's not just that we're being saved from hell. We're also being saved from sin. In this life, in the life to come, that we are not just overwhelmed or overcome by sin, but perhaps one of the most important things that I think it's so important for us to understand as Christian believers is that we're not just saved from hell, we're not just saved from sin, but we are saved from God. The Bible makes it very clear. Listen, these are uh, the words of uh, John in John chapter 3, right after Jesus has spoken with Nicodemus about uh, being the begotten son of God. This is what scripture says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life, but whoever rejects Jesus will not see life, but, the, but God's wrath remains upon them. And so we've got to understand that in eternity, it's not just about hell, it's about the wrath of God being poured out on those who have rejected his love and rejected his free offer of salvation. And so Jesus died on the cross to save us from all of these things so that we can be brought back together with the Father. Number four, Jesus died to sanctify us. Because sin distorts the image of God within us, the Holy Spirit continuously forms us into the image of God. And so it's almost this idea as if the image of God within us it, it was once a, a fire that was alive and thriving in the Garden of Eden, but when sin entered in, that fire dwindled down, and it's just a, an ember. It's, it's a distorted part of the image of God, but it still dwells within us. And as Jesus came to die on the cross, and as we give our lives to him, the Spirit of the living God fills us, and it's almost as if the Spirit comes to that ember of the image of God in us and begins to blow on that ember until the ember begins to get brighter and brighter and brighter. And then all of a sudden, at one point, that flame is going to come into existence again. And so God is attempting to restore the image of God in us, but that's only possible because Christ died on the cross. Number five, Jesus died also to regenerate us. Because sin dealt death to our spirit, Christ is bringing us back to life. Um, this is why Jesus told Nicodemus, you, it's not just good enough that you were born of the flesh. You've got to be born again. You've got to be born of the spirit because your spirit is dead. It has to come alive and it can only be done because of the cross. And then finally, number six, Jesus died to reconcile us back to the father. Because sin destroyed our relationship with the father, Christ brings us back into right relationship with him. These are the reasons that Jesus died on the cross. These are the responses. These are the benefits that we receive because of his substitutionary work that was satisfactory to the Father in heaven.
And so I want to close out this session by simply um, reminding us that when Jesus died on the cross, um, not only was he doing all of this for us because of our sin, but Jesus was trying to make a statement, a couple of different statements as a matter of fact. He was trying to make statements so that we could thoroughly understand what he was really trying to communicate to us. So number one in your notes, it says that Jesus died on a cross to reveal the depth of our depravity. Again, when Paul is writing in Philippians 2, he says Jesus was humble and he was obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so the question comes into play, you know, why couldn't Jesus just have died, you know, a really painless death with that? It had made it any less you know, uh, of an atonement. And, you know, then you got people asking, well, you know, why all this bloodshed, even reaching back into old, the Old Testament with all these animal sacrifices and just, you know, just blood and guts and all, all kind of things. And even when Christ went to the cross, why was it such a bloody death? Why was it, why was there torture involved? Why was it all this? And again, I want to remind us that he he died on the cross specifically because he was trying to communicate to us the gravity of our sin, the heaviness, the brokenness, the, the deep level of darkness that our sin carries that sometimes we don't really comprehend. We just kind of, you know, make our sin out to be like it's not a big deal. But Jesus died such an agonizing death because he wanted us to understand the gravity of our sin and what was required in order to rectify that and to redeem us and to reconcile us back to the Father. When I was growing up, um, I broke my arms three times. I broke my right forearm one time, and then I broke my left elbow, and then I broke my left forearm uh, about every two years, when I was seven, when I was nine, and when I was 11. And my first broken arm was just a broken arm. I mean, it was, it was traumatic, you know, uh, seeing your, your arm bent all out of shape, but it was an easy fix. They put me in a cast for six or eight weeks and, and it was fine. When I broke my elbow, um, there was some concern there because it's, it was right here at a joint. There are a lot of ligaments involved. And so they had to do some surgery and different things. And then finally, when I broke this arm, uh, it was such a severe break that they had to do surgeries. But, but I have two scars on my arm that are about five or six inches long, uh, one on either side. And the, the break was so severe that the doctors called my parents in and they said, what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to take these metal plates, these five, six inch long metal plates, and we're going to have to put them on this side of the bone and put screws in it. And then we're going to have to do the same thing on the other side. And we're going to have to leave them in there for the better part of a year. Because if we don't do that, if we just put him in a cast, as soon as we take the cast off, the first time that he bumps into something or falls, it's just going to break again. And so what they had to do was go to some pretty extreme measures. I had multiple surgeries and multiple things going on, but it was necessary because the break was so severe. Now, this break wasn't that severe, but, but this break was. And you could look and kind of put these two together and just say, well, he just broke his arm. But the reality is, is that they were two very different breaks. And I'm afraid that sometimes when we look at our sin, 
we can look at things and, you know, we can categorize and we can say, well, it was, it was just a lie or it was just this or it was just that. But the reality is it wasn't just, you know, theft or it wasn't just a lustful thought. It was this overarching rebellion against God. It's not just this individual sin. There is such a brokenness that, that is connected to our sin, and it's far greater than just a momentary action. It is, it is what R.C. Sproul called a cosmic treason against God Almighty. And I think that it's good for us as Christian believers to be reminded of the depth of our sin and, and what Jesus had to go through so that we could be made right before him. He was trying to help us understand throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, all the bloodshed, all the gruesome nature of things that were going on. What he was trying to help us understand is that in order for you to live, something has to die and it has to die a gruesome death. And so... In the cross, God is giving us a, a masterpiece of communication, um, and he did it in a way that was in the open for all to see. I want to read a quote to you here from a man named Fleming Rutledge. This is what he says about the crucifixion. He said, crucifixion was supposed to be seen by as many people as possible, debased Result, debasement resulting from public agony was a chief feature of the method of crucifixion along with the prolonging of agony. It was a form of advertisement or a public announcement. This person is the scum of the earth, not fit to live, more like an insect than a human being. The crucified wretch was pinned up like a specimen. Crosses were not placed out in the open for convenience or for sanitation. They were placed in the open for maximum public exposure. And so even when we, we talk about this message that God is trying to send about the, the depths and the gravity of our sin, he also chose to do it in a space where everyone could see, where everyone could understand that this humiliating, agonizing death is what God went through because of his great love for us, even in the midst of our rebellion. And so we understand that Jesus was trying to make a statement by dying on the cross. He was trying to make the statement to help us understand the gravity of our sin. But number two, and probably most importantly, Jesus died on the cross to reveal to us, to send the message to us of the depth of God's great love for us. Man, there is a, a such a such a great song. Uh, when I was a young Christian, um, uh, there was a, a Christian band. They're called Third Day. Most of you have probably heard of them, but they did. Um, they wrote a song. It, it's kind of obscure. It wasn't one of their mo most famous songs by any stretch, but it was entitled Love Song. And in the throughout the course in the different stanzas of the songs. Um, you know, he goes into all this drastic measures that a human would do for another human to express their love. I would swim the farthest ocean. I would climb the highest mountain. And then he contrasts it with Jesus saying, well, I've never swam the farthest ocean, but let me tell you what I have done. And it's just this beautiful depiction of the depth of the love of God that he has for us. And Jesus's death on the cross was to say, yeah, your sin is great and this is what it requires, but man, I am willing to go through that for you because of the depth of my, the depth of my love for you. 
I mean, it really is an amazing thing to consider. When you look at the fact that this is God hanging on a cross, this is the same God that the soldiers and the religious leaders who stood by and they mocked him and they poked him and they beat him, this is the same God that knit these people together while they were in their mother's womb. And he knit them together knowing that they would treat him this way in the years to come. This is the same God that provided rain and and moisture and the right soil so that these trees could grow and these trees that grow would one day be sawn down and they would be formed into the cross that he would be nailed to. This is the depth of the love of God. This is what he's trying to communicate, that there's nothing in heaven or on earth or in the spirit realm that's going to keep me from expressing my love for you. There's no level of pain. There's no level of, 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 of anything that can prevent me from expressing my love to you. And so that is part of the reason that Jesus did this on the cross. And so to wrap things up, God just makes it so simple for us. I mean, the, the complexity and the layers of our sin and what it caused and what it creates and what it does to us individually and universally, I mean, it's so layered, it's so difficult to, to really get our minds around, it's so complex. But God comes and he says, but let me offer you a solution. And he makes it so simple for us. He makes it so easy for us to receive this free gift of salvation. He simply says this in Romans. Paul writes this, he says, remember that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. In 1 John, we're reminded that if we confess our sins to him, in other words, we recognize all this stuff, I am a sinner, I have done wrong, I have rebelled against God, I have rejected these things. But if I will just recognize that and confess my sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive me of all my unrighteousness. He will cleanse me from all of my wickedness. And then that we openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, that we can be saved. And so it's through the death of Christ on the cross that not only do we have the opportunity to have new life here in, in this life, but we have the opportunity to step into eternal life with our heavenly father who loves us so deeply that he would send his son to be obedient to the death, even death on a cross.